Aloha. Can you give the worship team a great hand this morning? Man. Um, the things they put into when it comes to the gospel is so encouraging to hear us singing songs that not recognize as just our need for Jesus, um, but also our hope and our assurance of Jesus. Thank God that we worship a God that when he says something, when he promises something, he does it. Can I get a witness out there, right? That his word is true, it's alive, it's active. And what we're doing, if you're new to our fellowship, we are an expository church, meaning we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And we are going through the gospel of Mark, and we're moving pretty quickly. And we're landing on chapter 6. In verses 7 to 13, but I want to remind you that last week we talked about rejection. That Jesus was rejected by the same very people he grew up with. Can you, can you acknowledge yourself with that kind of situation, right? The people that he knew since he was a little child. Yes, a baby in the flesh, also a child in adolescence. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the name that means God with us. Jesus was rejected by his own people. His family, his friends, his extended relationships. And today what we want to look at, we want to look at how Jesus moves forward from this setting of being rejected, right? Because usually when we are rejected, I'm just going to be honest because I love you, we're going to post something on Facebook about being rejected. We're going to post something on social media so we can give attention to the world of what I'm going through because I'm the only one that's been rejected in the world. Can I get a witness out there, right? I am the only one that goes through hardship. I'm the only one that has illness issues. I'm the only one that has marital issues. I'm the only one that has all these issues. And though that may have some weight to it, we all know that's not true. You're not, listen to me. You're not the first person that experienced a heartbreak. You're not the first person that experienced your child disobeying you. As I heard some parents this morning. You're not the first person, right, whose spouse is not being faithful to you. Whether that is words, whether that is action, you're not the first person. We live in a fallen world where everything we experience is in direct connection to what happened in Genesis with the fallen world. You may blame Adam and Eve for doing their thing, but in all reality, if we were Adam and Eve, we would do the same exact thing. We love us some me, right? I mean... Why do we go work out? Because we want to look better. Unless you just go work out for the sake of looking worse. I mean, we love us some me time. I am guilty. I'm not speaking from a platform that I'm perfect at it. I am completely guilty. The last thing I want to do, even this week, I started seminary, back in seminary, I studied from 5 o'clock in the morning to around 
8 o'clock, we had prayer from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Then from 9 o'clock to about 12 o'clock, I'm studying for the message this week. And then lunchtime at 12, from 1 o'clock all the way up to 8 o'clock at night, I'm at the football, with the football team, with the boys, doing their study hall with them, all this stuff. Then I get home, hanging out with the boys before they go to bed. The last thing I want to see is a text from somebody else about their problems. But I'm called to such an office. I'm pastor. I'm kahu. That's what I should be doing, right? That's what I've been called. That's what I get paid to do for the last almost 20 years, believe it or not, since I've been in pastoral ministry, all right? That's what I got paid to do. Thank God for that, that I get to do what I love the best, and that's preach the Word of God and see people live out the Word of God. But the last thing I want to do is help out everybody after a long day of work. Are you with me today? If we're honest, it's all of us. We love us some me time. We love uh, me, right? It's like what, the joke I said yesterday. Like, like even for all of us who work out today, right? That, that haven't worked out in years like me, right? Like we love taking selfies of the head shot, right? But take selfies of the whole body, Hawaiian. Be honest. You're going to stop taking selfies. I promise you that. Right? I mean, I remember the days, bro, Kilo High School days, when I would have number 44 rocking on the shoulders, and I would puff up my shoulders, and back then, you don't smile while you look all tough, right? All tough, until your mother give you the eye, and you're not tough anymore, can you get over this, right? I mean, that's the reality, right? Like, we can all say, back in the day, back in my day, bro, that's how I used to hammer, right, back in the day, and you take selfies today. You know, some of us can't say years ago, we got to say pounds ago. Can I get a witness, right? We love us some me time. And I want you to see here something very clear. We're going to get to this in the month, next couple months. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus makes a profound statement that revolutionized the way we think, the way we should think. And he says this. It's not on the screen. It's just an extra nugget for us all in this room, Right? He says this, For the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. And he makes it even more passionate after that and more weighty. He says, And lay his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't want you to look through the lens of Kahu Zeke or Kahu Marcus or anybody in this room or that you're connected with. I want you to look at this text through the lens of Jesus. We're a gospel-centered, Christ-preaching church. That means we love to talk about Jesus. And as much as we love culture in Hawaii and what's going on on the mountain and the injustice that has been going on with our people, what keeps us straight and balanced is what we believe is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you got your palapala, right, your pepa, your word, would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect word? If you don't have your word, then I would encourage you to bring your word or look at the screen or share with someone next to you. And I want you to see how Jesus moves from being rejected one week to now continuing the mission of serving people in Galilee. Ho'omaokaokao. our word, the letter, says this. And he called the twelve and began sending them out two by two and gave them what? Authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. 
And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Very harsh words. He ends the letter by saying this. So so they went out and proclaimed that people should what? Say that R word again. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Dear Jesus, help us not to go through the rhythm of religion today. Help us not to be deceived by our own thoughts and our own hearts, agendas. Lord, I pray today if people came out of the transition of of just regular going through the motions of church, that you in your grace would remind them that today is a gift. That you've given us your pala pala, your paper, your word, the written word, to experience the living word of God. Holy Spirit of God, in Jesus' name, would you clear up some things that are theologically wrong with us, with our church, with our community, with our kingdom, with the United States, what we're dealing with here in Hilo throughout the world. We pray for our churches around Hawaii, in the mainland, and also in Japan, and the churches that we will continue to plant around the world for the name of your gospel that points to Jesus. God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. Noho ilalo. When I first got saved at the age of 18, I wanted to do absolutely everything for Jesus. Can I get a witness there, right? When there is a passion that you have for something, you reveal that passion based on what you do for that person, place, or thing. And so I became a follower of Jesus at 18 years old in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. You guys know I'm from here. I'm on Kanakama Ole. Born and raised. God sent me to Las Vegas. I met some great Howley redneck brothers. Can I get a witness out there, right? They spoke, they spoke like that, you know what I'm saying? And, and I had the pigeon accent coming from, could you imagine our conversation, right? Just bad. But anyway, this individual led me to Jesus in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I, I met my wife there, because pastored there, spent almost 10 years there. And, and God, when I started into the ministry, I wanted to do everything I could do to make much of that person I just got a relationship with. Everything. So what did I start with? I started with my passion. I love music. So I, I played in the worship team. I, I was the keyboard player, right? I didn't play, and, and the kind of songs they played, you know, like Western American Christianity, you know, never heard of that kind of stuff. I grew up in the Pentecostal church. Everything we did was chorus, right? Right? This little light of mine. Or all these guys, like, just choruses over and over. And I started being introduced to these singers like, Mercy Me. And Mercy Who, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Chris Tomlin, all these other, I never heard of them in my life because I grew up in a very traditional but old school chorusing in Pentecostal church, but I started to get introduced to that, so I wanted to do everything, so I would literally play in a Christian band every day I had practice, whatever the case, I even saved money working at Kmart, making five twenty-five an hour to buy me the most expensive keyboard because I wanted to make much of this new relationship I had with Jesus. I wanted to do everything. And so I did set up, tear down. I was with the OPO, the youth ministry. I was with the worship team. I did this, 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 this. And I did everything. I used my single life for the glory of God. And at the end of it, what I came out of it was I was empty. I was actually more worse than when I became a believer now. Before I was a believer. I did everything that good Christians 
And people who are growing in Christ would do. And then what I lost track of is something that many of you will lose track inside this church, and you have. And you may be operating in this thought. You lost track that what you did was not based on what you brought to the table. What you did was the overflow and the result of what Jesus has done in you and through you. Therefore, every time when I tried to do something for God, people will hurt me. Because they wouldn't live up to their standards. And so I based everything on ministry. What you did and did not do. Like every new believer, I was lost in what the true gospel was about. The gospel wasn't about deeds and works. The gospel was about what God has already accomplished on the cross through his son, Jesus. And though I heard that all my life and, gen- and genuinely became a follower of Jesus till 18, I got trapped in ministry. How many of you would be said, yeah, that's me, Kahoo, this morning, right? There's things to do in church. Perfect example, this morning, organization was at the low spectrum in church this morning. Chord charts, wrong chord charts. And it's worse when your Kahu has a good ear. I don't really need charts, I can play by ear, but I know the track is playing different notes from what I'm playing based on the chord chart, right? And so we, we get all kinds of stuff going on. There's a lack of organization. And so what the devil does, the devil attacks our ministry. What I'm doing right versus what I'm doing wrong. And what Jesus does, Jesus sets the scene in this text. And I want you to hear this very clear because ministry can suck you dry. In fact, tell your neighbor, hey, ministry will kill you. Tell your other neighbor, hey, pigeon style, hey, ministry, ministry going to kill you. How many of you would say ministry is tough? Raise your hand, right? Doing ministry. If you're not raising your hand, you're not in ministry, man. You better start getting in ministry. It runs you dry. Why? Because people, right? The saying is true. What I tell you guys all the time. My daddy told me, if it wasn't for ministry, if it wasn't for people, ministry would be good. Can I get away with this, right? But if it wasn't for people, we wouldn't have ministry. I want you to see how Jesus really attacks ministry today. In a good sense, in a positive sense. And I want to start off with this umbrella truth called a heart check truth. It's up on the screen. It says, the only thing we bring to ministry is an intimate love relationship with Jesus through a daily pursuit of biblical and desperate fellowship with him. I want to say that again. I want to say it slower. And I want this to hit your pu'uvai. I want you to hear this close. He says, the only thing, absolutely, the only thing we bring to ministry, what I do at the keyboard, what I do here in, on the stage, what you guys do with the cakey area, God bless you all that's back there, right? What you guys do, the only thing we bring to ministry is an intimate love relationship with Jesus. Through, listen to me, through a daily pursuit of biblical and desperate fellowship with him. Because life will smack you in the face. And then what happens? Chaos. Chaos. Jesus is rejected. He's doing a lot of ministry. And he's, te- he's showing his disciples what this looks like. And then the title of my message today is, listen to me, The Course of This Ministry Obstacle. The title is this, Jesus Sends. 
your assignment may be different. Your appointment may look different from others. But nevertheless, Jesus always sends. Here's two principles out of our text that we see about Jesus today. Number one, Jesus always sends out those he calls into a relationship with himself. Say it with me. One, two, three. Jesus always sends out those he calls into a relationship with himself. Verse 7 screams this out. I want you to hear this. It says, and Jesus called the twelve. Let's stop right there, okay? I want you to hear that because it's supposed to be like wow in this room. Because if you understand your sin nature, if you understand your depravity, where you came from before Christ, these first words articulate the beauty of Jesus in this text. Listen to me again. It says this, right? He says, and Jesus called the twelve. Those that Jesus calls, he sends. But the goal is not being sent out, what we do for God, what we do for the Lord. The goal is Jesus. But we skip these few words right here, and we think what would make Jesus happy is what I do for him. I want you to hear this now. Jesus always sends out those he calls. So listen to me. Everybody listen to me in here. The goal of our relationship with God is not the calling. The goal of our relationship with God is the one who calls. It's not what we do or get to do for God. It's what he's already done for us. Therefore, we live in this great, beautiful, whatever, bubble or basket you want to call it, an intimate love relationship with the Lord through Jesus. This is a specific kind of calling now. I want you to hear this. A specific group of men. This is not the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that's been following him up to this chapter. It's just 12, Jack. That's all it is. 12 brothers. Screwed up brothers. I think of all the Hawaiians that I grew up with. Right? The one with the pilau mouth. The, the one that, that all, I, thought, I think of myself in this whole word. Right? You think about it. They had a diverse group of men in this world. Some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One was a physician. So you had like upper class, middle class, and lower class hanging out together. You had the crazy Pupulu Hawaiians. You had the more high makamaka Hawaiians. And the high, 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 high makamaka Hawaiians. Right? Hanging out together. And they're not scrapping this time about what is right or wrong on the Mauna. They're together. They're being called together. They're being... Sent out together. They even had scholars in this group. In fact, one of those scholars was the brother of Jesus. James. James was a Pharisee. He was connected with the group. We see, look, in this, and this was bigger than just the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. All 12 was there. Even that jacked up brother named Judas. What am I saying? Your church should look like this. Your church should look like people who get it, who don't get it, who maybe get it. Nah, no get it. Like, like this church should look diverse. Nothing just in ethnicity, but in their relationship in the community. In, in, their, in their, their levels, as our Westerners would say. The lower income, the middle income, the higher income, right? And chapters 1 to chapter 6 of Mark, we see an intentional investment of what Jesus showcased with his disciples on what it meant to do ministry. 
Now, I want you to see this. Chapters 1 to 6 is not about them seeing Jesus do ministry. Chapters 1 to chapter 6 of Mark is about them spending time with Jesus while they do ministry. The goal is not what we do. The goal is what Jesus has done. Anything we do is the result of what Jesus has already done. And so what we see, we see a couple things in there. Number one, Jesus was a developer. Can I get a witness out there? As a football coach, as a father, as a cow, as a pastor, this is true. We must be developers. As a developer, he led by example from chapters 1 to chapter 6 of Mark, both in word and deeds. He got dirty with his people. He lived life with these 12 unrighteous, righteous, whatever you want to call it, brothers. Number two, Jesus was a deployer. Those he developed, we see in this text, he sent out. In fact, the word that's used is the verse that is this is the word send. And the word send comes out of the Greek word apostello. It's the word we get apostolic from. And the word apostolic means to have a mission to be sent out by an agency, right? That agency we see is Jesus. We see this used over, over 133 times in the New Testament, this apostolic word. And what we tend to forget is that Jesus, though he has called us to do something great for him, he empowered us to do it. He didn't just tell us to do it. He empowered us to do it. This is where all the power of teamwork comes in because then in the verses it said that he sent them out not one at a time individually, but say it with me, two by two. He sent them out in groups and this is where the power of team comes from. This power of team is beautiful because we can do more together than we can do apart from each other. Let me say that again. We can do more together than we can do apart from each other. I understand there's theological differences. That's why we have hundreds of hundreds of denominations here in our kingdom and also in America. There is so much diversity and, and not always for the positive side, but there is just bad theology in this world today. And what God is doing in the first six chapters, he focused on great theology before he sent them out. Right? If there was something different I would have done with this church... I would have done a two-year discipleship process before we planned into Ohana Church. Listen to me. I would have done a two-year discipleship process before we planted this church. Why? Because things that do well move at a slower rate. I know this. Because when people want the country or the nation to change, they want things to happen immediately. Right? That's called a band-aid fix. Right? If a bone is sticking out of my kneecap, right? right listen to me. The immediate, the immediate reaction, let's get them to surgery. But do you know what the doctors and the physicians have to do in order to do that operation? They have to go through years upon years upon years of spending time with their professors in the textbooks, learning this. And I think for us, we want a microwave kind of Christianity. And what happens, that what happens is when we want a microwave kind of Christianity, when the devil attacks us, we have a microwave kind of faith. And what we have to understand, God spent intentional time with it. Theologians literally believe that this was year two and a half when Jesus finally did this sending out. 
There is strength in a team. There is sharpening in a team. It takes a while to groom a great team. And for Jesus, being with him, watching him, knowing him intimately was the key to this send out. Lastly, Jesus was a donor. Jesus gave his disciples supernatural authority over darkness, specifically demons. In the verses, Jesus came to give life, right? At the same time, the opposite is true of demons. Demons came to take life, right? We say it all the time in John 10, 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus trumps that by saying, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. What am I trying to say? Everything we face that is attacked on this earth is a attack from the enemy. Ephesians 6 says this about the enemy. Finally, say those two words with me. One, two, three. Be strong. Right? He didn't say be weak. Right? Don't have no backbone. Right? He says be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the who? Devil. Not your husband, wives. All one laugh. You got it because you was married over 30 years. You know that. All right? Not, not, not your children. Not your next door neighbor. Not that person across the seat from your chair in church, right? I wish so she would, right? It is actually the devil. For we do not wrestle against what? flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The enemy is alive and well, and as God begins to bless you, the the enemy automatically begins to attack you. And when someone attacks us via social media, keyboard warriors, right? We are already mad at that individual. He's a troll. She's a troll. And it's a a result of this verse right here. We don't battle against each other. We actually battle against the spiritual darkness, the enemy. Now, could someone be influenced? Absolutely. That's why in this verse God said he gave them power over, over the demons. And the enemy's job is to lie to you. Right? Even the intentions of heart. Look at this biblical truth. All physical, mental, and emotional attacks are rooted in spiritual warfare. Can I get a witness out there? If you believe that, say that one part with me again. One, two, three. All physical, mental, and emotional attacks are rooted in spiritual warfare. Listen to me. The enemy's job is to convince you otherwise. The enemy's job is to convince you otherwise. Even like pastors would say that. I know growing up, oh, that's not the works of the devil. It is the works of the devil. Right? We, we treat mental health like it's not a problem. All it needs is a medicine. It needs more than medicine. It needs the Holy Spirit of God. We need it. No, we're not against medicine. We're not against physicians. Right? Luke, a great physician, wrote a great uh, uh, letter of the gospel of Luke and then Acts. About, about, about the Lord, but I want you to hear this out. You have the greatest source, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Your greatest source is a relationship with Jesus. Anything after that is just an extension. That relationship, listen to me, overcomes everything because Jesus overcame everything. Is what you do today based on relationship with Jesus 
or your relationship with your circumstance. Because if our circumstance defines what we do or don't do, we will always be jaded and lied to by the enemy. You have the greatest source, and that's a relationship with Jesus. Number two, Jesus always provides for those he sends out. There's a couple in our church. They're going to be sent out on mission the next couple weeks. And they get the greatest joy to share with a people group on this relationship. This relationship with the Lord. Did you know that there's over 65 unreached people groups around the world? What does that mean? That not one of those 6,500 people groups have ever heard of the name of Jesus. Right now, specifically in Pacific, the Pacific Islanders, there's one Pacific Island that has not been met with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's actually it's in Papua New Guinea on an island right, called Vantamuz that has cannibalism islanders. And they have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus yet. In fact, missionaries are so scared and Christian churches are so scared of sending people there because what they do, they do, when people come to the shore, they start uh, throwing nails and bottles and spears at this. And they would even have, they would even have inappropriate sexual relationships together right on the beach to show their paganism to this world. Not the issue is not their practices. Their issue is they don't know Jesus. Same with Hilo. Their issue is not their addictions and their habits that don't look righteous. Their, their, their issue is they don't have a righteous relationship with a righteous God named Jesus. And listen to me. Our relationship with Jesus overcomes everything because Jesus overcame everything. So we see this in verses 8 and 9 as we move on in the text that Jesus provides details on what not to take, right? He says, don't take food which is bread. He says, no, take your bag, right? He says, don't even take money. Well, that would just cut off all our missionary work. Can I get an amen out there, Kahu Marcus, right? But he says it clearly. Hey, bro, no take grinds. No take your sack lunches. No take money. You don't do that. So, so, so Jesus provides details on what not to take. Now, number two, Jesus provides details on what to take in our text today. He says, take a staff. Why, are we going to beat people today, Jesus? Right? I want to beat some people some days with this. And I'm not talking about my children. I'm talking beyond that, right? But the staff is symbolic from the Old Testament. The staff represents a couple things. First off, the men of God in the Old Testament used a staff to recognize their relationship with Jesus. Or with God. Yahweh, Jehovah. The staff represents God's power. But also the staff represents God's promise. The staff represents Jesus. Then he also goes and he busts up the Hawaiian term. You guys ready? Take slippers. Yes, sir. Can I get a yes, sir in here? Right? Take your sandals. Right? And then he goes off and he says, take simple clothing. Man, Jesus was more Hawaiian than you think, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, take simple. Don't take the two tunics. Now, the two tunics is these two outer layers, right? They put it on. It was symbolic. It was hot. In Jerusalem, all right, but it also represents cleansing, being very clean, right? Because a lot of, in that culture, they didn't bocha a lot. They didn't take a shower a lot. And you may say, oh, that's gross and all that. Hey, there's still people today that don't do that. And it's just a reality, yeah? 
right? Not going to say the name when we go at all that, but it's the reality. That these cloths represent cleansingness. And what Jesus is saying to them is that, man, if I'm going to send you out, I got you. I'm going to provide for you. From chapters 1 to 6, for two and a half years being with me, did I not provide for you? Did I not give to you, you 12? It goes on to say, number three, Jesus provides details on what to do. Thank you, Lord, for giving us clarity. Verses 10 to 11, it says this. And Jesus said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. All right? So go to the house. Make visits, right? This is what we practice here. It's not just a Mormon thing. It's not just a Jehovah Witness thing. I mean, this is pretty biblical. Visit one another at each other's house. Verse 11, and if any place will receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, this sounds harsh, but it's true, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Listen to me. If all I was was a football coach at Hilo High School and I did not share the grace and love and wrath of God, then all I'm doing in there is coaching with no life. But I didn't join a football program to talk about X's and O's. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I joined a football program so that the hundreds of gentlemen and ladies that play now, that we get to coach, may come to know Jesus. Have people rejected this message? Absolutely. You reject it too as a Christian. It says, and I want you to see this. I want you to see the three reality truths about these verses. Because it's very powerful, right? When you think about, you know, staying there, sharing the gospel. And if they don't like it, move on, move on. I want you to hear this stuff. True reality truth number one. It is better to be faithful than to be fruitful. I want you to hear this again. It is better to be faithful than to be fruitful. I think we are deceived by the result of church growth numbers in America today. We're deceived to think that this church is not doing well because it doesn't have the numbers the church up the hill has. What was it? A competition, y'all. This is God's kingdom. It's alive and it's well. It's active and it's at work. It is better to be faithful than to be fruitful. And when we, when we aren't seeing the results that we measure our success by, we tend to become discouraged and we quit. I'm in firm agreement. It wasn't until this year that our JV program started winning a couple games. If I base my mission in this program on what we did like the last couple years, I would quit. But it's better to be faithful than fruitful. Say it with me. One, two, three. It's better to be faithful than fruitful. Look at that text. He says, if they do not welcome you, Hawaiians, dust them off and move on. He's not telling them, oh, catch feelings and stop doing the mission. Right? He's not saying, he says, move on. Look, Inky Johnson, one of my favorite football players from UT of all time, says this. The process is more important than the product. I want you to hear this again. The process is more important than the product. Discipleship is a process. Can I get an amen there, leaders? Right? Jesus demonstrated that through these verses, the goal is never to win souls. The goal is to be faithful with the message. Jesus wins souls. Are you with me? I want you to see this. Reality truth number two. Being fruitful leads down to many paths, but being faithful leads to Jesus. 
Let me say that again. Being fruitful leads down to many paths, but being faithful leads to Jesus. Why? Because not all of your faithfulness will see fruit. You can preach as much as you want about the doctrine of sin, and you'll still see people come and go in the church. If you base it on who shows up, that gum, let's all quit. I'm going to tell you who's going to show up. Jesus. Jesus. That's the way he will show up. Man will fail you. I will fail you. The leaders will fail you. But Jesus is always faithful. Therefore, the reality of us who have a relationship with Jesus, the result of that should be our faithfulness and not our focus on fruitfulness. Can I get a witness out there, right? Reality truth number three. Just because you are faithful, fruitful, just because you are fruitful, it does not mean you are faithful. Hey, I grew up in this town, Hawaiians. Promise kind, I am the Kanaka over here. And I don't say it grudgingly or arrogantly. I mean, I've been here. My father was a Kahu. I've seen all the thousands and millions of ministries that was done in this city. And that's still done in this city. And still, we have an issue with darkness in this city. Listen to me. If we judge our success based on fruit, that's be like every other Kanaka, get off this island and look for a better lifestyle in Las Vegas or Utah where I can get paid more, where I can get more housing, cheaper, milk don't cost $10 like in Hilo. Let's, Thomas Ellis, let's get off this rock, let's go to Tennessee where we own 200 acres of land, where we just built a brand new family house, and let's live well out there. Don't tempt me. It sounds good, man. But I'm a firm believer. If anything you obtain is easy to obtain, it's not worth obtaining. Look to the cross. Just because you are fruitful, it does not mean you are faithful. I believe there's two reasons why we struggle with faithfulness. Number one, we forget that our faithfulness is the result of God's faithfulness in Christ to us. I want you to hear that. There's a missionary, and her name is Lottie Moon. We're going to celebrate her, what Christ has done in her life in December. It's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Easter offering. And Lottie Moon's spent majority of her adult life in China. And Lottie Moon refused to go back home to the United States to be comfortable because at the time... China was the largest lost continent in the world. And the way she would reach the people in the village is through the babies, the children, the keiki, the opio. She made these tea cookies. Now, if you never had a Lottie Moon tea cookie, you're missing out on heaven, Hawaiians. I'm just telling you that right now. It is so on. It's next to what I would call a shortbread cookie, right? But it has tea in it. And it's beautiful. And Lottie Moon decided to forsake her American riches and also a scholar who she was dating at the time at this seminary, she broke up a relationship with him to follow Jesus to China. Lottie Moon never came back home. She stayed in China. But she had to come back home in her 
in her late years. She lived a long life because she needed medical assistance, and the only medical assistance she could get was in America. Did you know that Lottie Moon actually died where we planted a church in Japan, Yokohama? Never got to see the fruit of her labor. Are you guys hearing me today? Do you know what is the fastest growing continent of Christianity today? China. Lottie Moon never saw, right, her fruit from her faithfulness. But she trusted in the one who was faithful to her, Jesus. We forget that our faithfulness is the result of God's faithfulness to us in Christ. Number two, we measure our success. This is why we forget about faithfulness. We measure our success based on fruits, which is the results, rather than on faith, which is trusting in the finished work of Jesus. What am I saying? Everything that is happening today has already been finished in what Christ has done on the cross for you and I. All we get to do is see the result of that, not as just fruit, but as an opportunity to be faithful. And if fruit happens, praise God. If fruit does not happen, help me out, praise God. Listen to me. God is sovereign. He's not up in heaven wondering, well, what is that idiot doing down there? Like, he is in complete control. He is not surprised by some of you men who go in your dark rooms and do your dark things. He's not surprised, you women, in your insecurity and hiding things and all that. He's not surprised about that. Why? Because he's God. That's what makes him God. He knows all things. He sees all things. And listen to me. God is a God of perfection. Your faithfulness. All right? Is God's way of perfecting you. Now, are we perfect in Christ and what He did? Absolutely. But there's a practical position of where you see God perfecting you in the flesh. Here's what Mark 6, 12, and 13 says in the ending part of this verses. It says, So they went out. Let's stop right there. After God told them what not to do, after God told them what to do. After God gave them clarity about the gospel, listen to what these words says. So they went out, right, and did random act of kindness in the city. Did he say that? Help me, read it out clearly. So they went out and what? Proclaimed that people should what? That is not a popular word, brothers and sisters. Listen to me. I've told you guys this many times. The framework of the gospel does not start with God's love for you. That's an American westernized gospel. That is not the true Bible doctrine. The framework of the gospel, listen to me, begins with sin. Therefore... People need repentance. But there is no repentance if no one proclaims the gospel. When Jesus gave this to them, he says, go out. So they went out. Praise God. They obeyed God. Everybody give them a hand, right? Praise the Lord, right? They went out. Yeah, celebrate that. 
They did what Jesus told them to do, right? So they went out and they did even more than that. They proclaimed that people should repent. Let me tell you now today, if you are wallowing in your sin today, repent. If you are prideful, repent. If you are in an immoral relationship, repent. If you are not honoring God as your Lord and Savior, repent. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus at all, repent. If you're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, repent, repent, repent. Turn from your ways to God's ways and let him do what only he can do through you, living faithfulness in and through your life. Repent, repent. Repent. Oh, that's the thing that people used to say 50 years ago. No, we still say it today. The text just said it. Proclaim repentance. Repent from your arrogance. Repent from your pride. Right now, today, whatever you're holding on that's not looking like Jesus, repent. Give it to God. If you want to see God use you in and through your life, repent and trust in the name that is above every name. Jesus. Jesus. I want you to see what they experienced because they proclaimed repentance. Look at this. They experienced what Christ empowered them to do from verse 7. Verse 7 says Jesus gave them the power over demons. Verse 13 said this this way, right? Take a look at this, right? This meant to, it's meant to say this in verse 12 first, but it says when they were proclaimed this, they also, listen to this, they rebuked demons, and in addition to that, they did signs and wonders. I want you to hear, though repentance is a touchy subject for us, because none of us in our flesh want to be told what to do. Can I get a witness? Guilty. The way God has established redemption is through hearing the word of God and repenting from.